Here's a quick thanks to our sponsors. MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. ButcherBox, convenient, affordable, free delivery of the highest quality meat, poultry, and seafood. Buy optimizers, performance supplements like magnesium, probiotics, and more. Beauty Counter, a complete line of safer skin care and cosmetic products. B-Rad Grass-Fed Whey Protein Isolate Superfuel, the ultimate performance recovery and longevity drink, and Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend. And check out the favorites link at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance, and great discounts for listeners. And here we go with the show. All interventions, all kind of factors that affect us biologically have two effects. They have stressor effects and specific effects. The longer we go without replenishing what we're using, the more we're going to be dipping into that stress. And so having at least some carbohydrates, but ideally a good solid meal of some good, you know, good fats, good protein, and, and a good amount of carbohydrates, that'll help to turn off those stress hormones and stress systems as much as possible. The people listening to this, if they're feeling bad after carbs, it's probably not because they're diabetic. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find hey listeners it's time for another show with jay feldman host of the energy balance podcast yeah we had to keep going man because these insights are pretty mind-blowing uh the challenge to a lot of the conventional story in the 
ancestral health, a progressive health scene is a little bit disturbing, disruptive, but that's what's so great about uh, being open to new ideas and thinking critically and figuring out how the pieces will fit. I think we do a pretty good job on this show to try to reconcile some of the uh, opposing views, if you want to look at it that way. Um, one of the things we're going to get into early on is this concept of hormesis or hormetic stressors, which are uh, intended to provide a net health benefit by putting the body under uh, assorted forms of stress, like jumping into the cold water and getting all these wonderful uh, cognitive, immune, and anti-inflammatory benefits. But again, it goes to this concept that we are turning on stress hormones when we do all manner of uh, metabolic stress, like uh, restrictive diets and uh, pushing our bodies through workouts and so forth. So he's going to advance this compelling idea that we want to get the maximum uh, benefits to the human organism with the minimal amount of stress and uh, for us not to forget the idea that stress is cumulative over our lifetime. So when we banter about and say, hey, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Uh, not necessarily true because what doesn't kill you can wear you down over time. And that is a lot of the reason why um, the dudes running around with the six pack in their 20s and ordering up pizza and uh, top ramen and doing whatever, uh, 10 years later, there's no more six pack. And it's not because their diet changed uh, dramatically. It's because they got away with stuff. And then the cumulative effects of stress for things like leaky gut, I think it's a really relevant insight. Same for anyone can nod their head if you're walking around with knee replacement, hip replacement. Obviously, what didn't kill you caused you to have a replacement joint. And so we want to get uh, into this realm of optimizing our cellular health and looking at some of the questions with a, a critical mindset. And so this show covers some big picture concepts like hormetic stressors, and then we have a little bit of opportunity for some rapid fire where we're getting uh, more clear about the uh, idea that fat burns cleanly and glucose burns more dirty and uh, sorting it out with some scientific reference there that might be difficult to uh, keep up with at times, but then we're going to come back and bring some takeaway insights that I think you'll understand and greatly appreciate. So I'm so pleased to have Jay Feldman on for show number two, Energy Balance Podcast host at jfeldmanwellness.com. Jay Feldman is back, full of energy, full of energy balance. I so much appreciate that first show. Um, you you know present an incredibly compelling premise about the you know the need to view this um, fascination with restrictive diets with a, a little more of a bigger picture perspective, particularly how um, fasting, carb restriction, uh, fat restriction, whatever we're doing uh, is stressful. And we have these wonderful uh, fight or flight mechanisms in the body that make us feel alert, energized, focused, and, and, and wonderful in so many ways uh, for their short-term use. And then when we're kind of putting this into layering this into a high stress lifestyle, we are asking for big trouble. Um, I didn't mention this on the first show, but what I also like about you and your, your trusted sidekick, Mike Fave is, um, you are also working with, uh, real humans in, in real life, practical applications. So it's not just theoretical. And of course your own health journey. And you described some of that in the first show about how you were in there trying to get strong, trying to get your abs to show up, eating less food, 
and uh, blowing that blowing that story up and then looking down the path. So I guess we can kind of pick up on um, some of those themes and, and see where it heads. But one thing that really, really struck me um, was your take on this vaunted health attribute or this health practice of hormesis. And for the listener that's not aware of that term, it's, I guess you describe it as um, brief uh, stressors that are designed to deliver a net positive adaptive benefit. And that would include um, jumping in the cold tub, which I'm such a big fan of. It would include uh, a, a high intensity workout or a long duration workout that's putting your body into, you know, loading the muscles, loading the cardiovascular system. And then of course, um, the, um, the dietary restriction is also touted as this uh, hormetic uh, stressor designed to deliver a, a net positive adaptive benefit. But we need to maybe take a, a second look at some of that. Yeah. So, so you said it very well. And essentially the idea is that hormesis, it, hormesis is this idea, this concept that small amounts of stress or small amounts of damage are beneficial because they allow they drive certain adaptations that improve our health. And again, kind of more colloquially, it's the idea of no pain, no gain, or what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. This idea that we want to be kind of imposing these small amounts of stress. And that's where we get, the, that's how we get stronger. It's how we get healthier. And as you were saying, this, this is cited as the reason why so many common health interventions are supposed to be beneficial. The biggest one being calorie restriction, uh, but also fasting, ketogenic diets, cold thermogenesis, certain supplements like resveratrol, Wim Hof breathing, all these things that some people might not be as aware are even by the, you know, by the people who are in favor of them and who understand the physiology, all of these things are stressful. They all drive stress. And the argument is that those amounts of stress and the right amount create benefit. And I would argue that that's not actually the case. There are some benefits to these things, but it's not because of the stress they cause. And the the kind of flip side as well is that we can get those same benefits without as much stress. And so that's really kind of where, where I lean into as, as I prefer some alternate routes to get the same benefits. Um, this is just messing with my head, man. It's a, it's a major insight um, and it makes a lot of sense. And I think the you distinguish between um i'm, I'm going to go into your quote now to, to make make sure i characterize it well um distinguish between the beneficial effects of environmental stimuli versus the damage that it causes uh, the benefits of environmental stimuli are due to their specific effects rather than the stress they cause um and just make sure we explain that completely what you're talking about in terms of uh, lifting a weight off your chest for 10 reps. Yeah. So this comes back to the work of Hans Selye. And he was the first to describe that all interventions, all kind of factors that affect us biologically have two effects. They have stressor effects and specific effects. And the stressor effects is how much they use energy and deplete us. And, and their propensity to cause stress. And then their specific effects are everything else. So when it comes to, let's say, a weightlifting session, we're doing certain specific things. We're creating tension on our musculature and we're you know, moving it through certain ranges of motion. We're creating elongation. There's blood flow. There's lymph flow. There's all sorts of things going on. And then also there is a usage of energy going on. And that is the stress, the stressor effect. And if we do it maybe more than a couple of reps, there'll be some amount of stress caused which is not necessarily a problem, 
But if we're doing something maybe very long distance or a ton of reps or something like that, we're going to be favoring more stress and more of that stressor effect. And so we're what we're kind of going to be getting to is weighing the stressor effects versus the specific effects. And kind of my argument here is that the specific effects are where we would get the benefits from or negatives. It could be go both ways, but if there are benefits, they're coming from the specific effects and not the stressor effects. And I think there's a lot of conflation within the research, and we'll talk about where that, why that's coming or where that's coming from, where the assumption is that the stress itself is actually responsible for the benefits. And this is something that I think is a huge disservice, a major problem, a major issue in the way that we're looking at these at biology, really. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I got really sore after my uh, first workout with my personal trainer. So I must be getting in shape. And that soreness, which I've told listeners, I battle constant recurring muscle soreness. So something is uh, suboptimal with my training program. And it's super frustrating because I have athletic goals. I want to go clear the bar on the high jump. And then I realize later that I made a mistake and overdid it because of the fact that I've sustained muscle damage. And so this concept of muscle soreness being anything but but terrible is something that we need to awaken to. Yeah. And, and of course, there are, you know, just because we're sore from an exercise or workout doesn't mean that it was overall net negative. Like there were certainly stressor effects. There were also specific effects and the specific effects could outweigh the stress or vice versa, right? So it would all depend on our individual circumstances and what the workout is and everything like that. But I think the major point that you're getting at is we don't want to be looking at the markers of stress as the benefit. We don't want to look at, you know, the workouts that provide the most soreness and the most muscle damage don't provide or don't lead to the greatest strength and the greatest uh, hypertrophy, the greatest muscle gain. Uh, but there's always going to be some overlap. We need some amount of stress in order to get the benefit, but that's not, again, the benefit is not because of the stress. It's despite the stress. Yeah. And then you go on to say that if we can find a way to get the maximum benefits with the minimal amount of stress, then we are on to the, uh, the, the merry path. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger now and get a big bowl of fruit and a giant smoothie every single morning uh, after my, my wonderful morning workout session, uh, because that uh, theoretically will minimize the stress impact or at least not piggyback um, you know, going into a busy day without uh, caloric energy right away. And that's, you know, been an awakening for me because I thought fasting was cool. And then when we make it to 12 noon, we can put another checkbox into the, uh, into the, the, uh, the positive column. And don't you feel great, alert, energized, and so uh, productive because you uh, are able to fast. And again, it might be due to giving my gut a break from uh, irritant foods. And that's why I, I feel better in the morning than before when I had my uh, raw green uh, produce smoothie inspired by Dr. Rhonda Patrick telling me I should put this giant thing into the blender and drink it up every day. Yeah. And I know as we pointed out in the last episode too, the stress hormones can feel good. You mm. know, the, the adding the black cup of coffee on top of the fast you know, gets the gets that energy flowing, but again, that's something that we're borrowing from the future. That's debt that we're taking out that we do have to pay back, and long term will lead to our bodies trying <laughs> to conserve energy. We got to pay back, man. Yeah, yeah. So not the best way to be getting our energy. And again, the good news is that we can have really great energy and focus and feel vibrant and be in a great mood and everything without needing to force those stress mechanisms. And I would say that's a way better way to do it. Uh, I do want to 
bring in a proper context here. And I'm, I'm thinking of my, my buddy, Liver King, the Instagram sensation, um, Brian Johnson, my, my uh, associate with the, the, the MoFo organ supplement. And he's, you know, getting uh, a lot of attention for his extreme ancestral practices and going in that cold tub for eight minutes instead of two and doing those extreme workouts. And of course, um, I, I'm, I'm calling him out that uh, going on a five-day quarterly fast, as well as training in the way that he does and, and going in the cold that he does is perhaps unnecessary from the physiological perspective, but he is making an important point that we have a, a compelling reason to uh, reawaken our human fighting spirit because modern life is so comfortable and indulgent and we don't put ourselves under sufficient, for example, uh, temperature variation uh, because we're in confined uh, air-conditioned environments at almost 24-7. The research shows that we spend um, 93% of the time indoors uh, it was a UK study, 86% indoors, and then another um, 7% in a vehicle. And so if that's the case, um, I can see the uh, rationale for jumping in the cold tub. Uh, but I personally have taken my uh, duration down from five minutes where I could show how, how much of a tough guy I was to last that long to one or two, because I want to monitor and mind that, um, that sweet spot between overstressing the body and and then on the other side getting a nice um, you know perhaps a psychological benefit is the main one yeah and if someone wants to make the argument that for mental toughness you have to you know fast for extended periods of time <laughs> prove that you can do something you know mm. that that's fine i don't necessarily think you know we can discuss maybe in a, a different time whether that is beneficial from a mental standpoint i mean that's a whole other conversation yeah. but Oh, no, it's I don't good, think we Jay. should disguise it's, that as, you know, it reminds me right now, Dr. Phil Maffetone, one of the leading endurance coaches in the world. Um, he said straight up, you don't need to train the brain to suffer. And you don't need to train the anaerobic system to, to suffer because the anaerobic system fires explosively. He was talking to endurance athletes where, you know, we got to go out and run 20 miles five times before the marathon because the marathon's 26 miles. It's like not for the brain. And certainly not for the body. Uh, you have to come up and, and dig deep on race day. And that's what race day is for. And that was a, a really important takeaway to, to realize like we're pretty tough creatures. And if someone came and put a gun to my head right now, I could run a marathon. I'd be uh, recovering for a long time after. But the fact remains is that we can we can dig deep unless we dig deep again and again and again. And it's part of our pattern as we're the you know, perfect attendance at the CrossFit uh, this month. That's when we start to get into, uh, again, you pointed this out, the idea, and I, I should frame a question from my rant here, but um, don't, don't forget, stress is cumulative was your point. So maybe you can explain what you mean by that. Yeah. So it's one of the glaring issues with this idea that we should be using a ketogenic diet or cold thermogenesis or fasting or caloric restriction because they cause stress and that leads to uh, benefit, right? we get the right amount of stress. It's not too little, not too much. That's the idea behind hermesis. And one of the glaring problems is that the stress is cumulative. And so if we consider a state where let's say somebody is clearly dysfunctional, maybe they're dealing with diabetes or some sort of chronic degenerative state. We know that that's a body that's dealing with excessive amounts of stress. And so on one hand, 
and this is, I guess, a semi-separate point, but on one hand, the idea that we want to be adding more stress in and that that is going to lead us to go backward into the right zone, I think is is not entirely logical. I think at that point, you would have to argue that someone in a diabetic state is experiencing too little stress. And I think that that's a very tough argument to make. And that's kind of where the cumulative side of things comes in, where when we consider all the things that drive stress in our environment, whether it's the lack of sleep, the presence of various pollutants or chemicals in our environment, the food we eat, the all of the other issues with the foods that we're eating, the amount of exercise we do, the amount of stress we have in our personal lives and with work and, and on and on. There's a ton of stress that's accumulating. And then when we add more on top, uh, it's adding to that same stress bucket because all of that stress is going through the same energy-based systems and pathways. And so this was something that, again, coming back to the original and we don't have to deal with the origins of hormesis too much, but they originally were looking at specific, very toxic chemicals, things like mm. cyanide or cadmium and saying, yes, these are harmful in large amounts, but in really small amounts, they're actually beneficial. And this is the, like a government propaganda and main uh, mainstream industry trying to bullshit us into thinking that it's okay to live near the, uh, the nuclear test site uh, because once in a while, a little radiation is not going to kill you. Therefore, it's going to make you stronger. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The ionizing radiation. That's scary is, shit, man. It is. Yeah. It is. And, and it's and, the same fit. It's, it's being propagated now by smiling fitness industry people um, with six packs. Right. Right. And of course, there's, there's not the awareness that that's where it's coming from, but that is the where it's coming from in the critiques of those original thoughts or yeah, um, hypotheses or, or suggestions were one that, yes, maybe if you take certain toxic agents, it reduces cancer in one area but it tends to increase it in others or it tends to come with other very negative effects. So that's part one is, is those earlier studies were just focusing kind of myopically on one area, but the other is that stress is cumulative. And so the, a lot of this, again, as you said, is coming from certain industrial means where they said, okay, it's okay to have a small amount of pollutants in the uh, environment because small amounts are beneficial. When you consider the small amounts from everywhere, you've got the ionizing radiation, you've got the arsenic, you've got the cadmium, a little bit of everything. And that accumulates. And so even based on the original theories, if you're considering that all these things are cumulative, it really doesn't pan out. They're going way far beyond that point where it's supposed to be beneficial. And again, it, even that, that original concept is flawed, but the fact that, it, that the stress accumulates is, is a huge issue that most people are not considering. Uh, and you, you talked about the stress bucket and this idea that um, the, the fight or flight response, the general adaptation syndrome is identical. We, we don't know the difference between um, a 24-hour fast, uh, an intense workout, or a tough day at the office, uh, and, and so forth. And I know that many people will uh, view their workout endeavors as a great stress release or a stress balance from uh, the busy day taking care of uh, young children. And then finally, they have a two-hour window of personal time so they can go for a bike ride and enjoy nature and scenery. And all those things are indeed uh, wonderful for healthy, balanced lifestyle. But perhaps that bike rider might uh, consider uh, minimizing their heart rate so that the stress impact of the workout is, is less than otherwise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. and and. I think part of the the kind of solution there is let's minimize the stressful things that aren't benefiting us. So if we're if instead of taking a nice leisurely bike ride outside in nature, we're going as hard as we can in the gym, and it's it's not really bringing us that same joy and also the same benefits, then we might want to consider what we're doing there. 
Uh, and at the same time, as you said, let's also do the things that are going to help minimize that stress. You know, having enough fuel on board, the right types of fuel. You know, providing as much energy as possible to deal with the stressors, so that they aren't actually causing stress. And if they do cause stress, it's as small amount as possible. I'm pleased to present BRAD Grass-Fed Whey Protein Isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the super fuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Uh, so uh, reinforce why I am eating a big bowl of fruit in the morning and then making my super nutrition protein smoothie instead of fasting until noon. Yeah, so... I mean, for one overnight, we don't have any fuel available. So that alone is a stressor, you know, just the, our normal functions going on overnight, it's using up our available fuel and, and energy. And so we wake up and we've got relatively low fuel stores. And so even at that point, normally we have a, a spike, a peak in stress hormones, and that's a natural rhythm that's supposed to wake us up. Um, but if we don't then replenish our fuel stores, that the the elevated levels of stress will continue to you know, again, lean us into more fat burning and away from carb burning and slow down our metabolism a, a little bit. And so those things will continue. And then if, especially if we work out as well, we're dipping more into those fuel stores. And the longer we go without replenishing what we're using, the more we're going to be dipping into that stress. And so having at least some carbohydrates, but ideally a good solid meal with some good, you know, good fats, good protein, and, and a good amount of carbohydrates That'll help to turn off those stress hormones and stress systems as much as possible and as quickly as possible so that we're using the fuel that's coming in instead of using what's stored, which again, puts us into that kind of stress famine type state. Uh, I, I'm thinking of a couple follow-up questions on behalf of all, all, those, uh, all those listening. Um, we've been told that this is like prime fat burning opportunity to wake up and fast and perhaps do a workout and then really turbocharge and progress toward our goal of dropping that last five, 10 or 15 pounds. It is prime fat burning opportunity, but that doesn't mean it's prime fat loss opportunity. And so I think part of the, the problem here comes with this emphasis on wanting to drive fat burning. And 
I think what we're really missing is the other side of that equation, which is fat storage. And so we're so focused on releasing all this fat from our fat stores and burning it. We're not focused on the things that drive fat storage. And that is really going to be driven by stress hormones more than anything. Um, you know, in a, and a situation where we're not using fuel elsewhere and there's a lot of fuel left over to go to the fat stores. And so I will say, of course, in, in the short term, when we're doing something that maybe drives fat burning, like fasting or low carb diet, we will lose some fat. Uh, but it's not as simple as more fat burning equals more fat loss in general in the big picture. And there's some good research supporting that as well, looking at what's going on when they have um, patients in a, or subjects in a metabolic ward, participants in a metabolic ward. And uh, you know they, they have them on a low-carb diet versus a low-fat diet. And the low-carb diet burns a lot more fat, but they actually end up losing less body fat. Uh, and this is because there's a lot more fat storage as well. You're using those fat stores a lot more as opposed to using other uh, areas of storage. So, uh, I'm a little lost there. How are we, how we losing less fat if we're, if we're burning fat or we're, we're targeting fat burning? Yeah. So, so I know I kind of skimmed over that. There's a, a specific study I'm referring to, which is by Kevin Hall, and he's looking at, uh, participants that are either on a low carb or low fat diet in a metabolic ward. So measuring everything in a very controlled setting and in the low carb diet, they're burning a lot more fat as a fuel, much less carbohydrate, there's much lower amounts of insulin. And in the high carb diet or the low fat diet, they're burning much more amounts of carb, like much higher amounts of carbs and their uh, insulin is higher. And in both, both cases are in diets that are targeted toward fat loss or weight loss. And in both cases, they lose weight. But the, what they actually find is that in this study, in the low carb group, they lost about the same amount of weight, but they lost less body fat and more muscle mass. And so this comes back to two things. So one, we're relying on more breakdown of protein for our carbohydrate needs. And that, of course, is, a, is an issue. But when it comes to less uh, body fat loss, Yes, more of the body is using fat as a fuel and there's much more fat coming in. So that makes sense. And that's really what you're seeing is that we're just shifting from carb to fat burning, but that doesn't say anything about what's actually happening at the fat stores. There's a lot of different regulation that's going on there uh, in terms of how much fat of the fat that's being released is being burned, how much of the fat that's circulating is getting reabsorbed into the adipocytes, into the adipose tissue. So there's, there's a handful of factors that are just not that are on this other piece of the equation, as opposed to just saying more fat burning equals more fat loss. And uh, yeah, we want to be considering those other factors as, as far as what's uh, whether we're actually going to lose more body fat. It's kind of like an analogy to the consuming calories and thinking that it's a direct association with what you're burning and storing. Exactly. Yeah. We're missing that yeah. whole other, other side of what's going on. Um, so we've also been uh, told that fat burning is more efficient, less stressful, uh, generating less reactive oxygen species. It's a cleaner burning fuel source than glucose, which has been described as dirty burning because it burns so quickly and easily. It's the low octane fuel that'll get you going for you know, a, a explosive effort, immediate needs. And whereas fat burning should be our default energy source at rest uh, because it's more cleanly burning because it utilizes mitochondria. And I think you had some uh, refreshing perspectives on that. So maybe we could talk about the 
the, the fuel sources and how they how they burn and throw ketones in there too, because ketones have been touted as this magical wonder fuel, especially for the brain. It burns more cleanly than glucose. That's why the ketogenic diet was invented hundred years ago to help um, protect against seizures and drug resistant seizure patients. And uh, it all sounds wonderful to be uh, having a campfire that doesn't have the smoke coming up. You just have these wonderful warm logs that are burning all night long. Uh, and then we've had the comparison to uh, being a sugar burner where you're wadding up uh, balls of newspaper and twigs and throwing them in constantly to keep the flame alive. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things that, you know, I myself was saying to at a period of time, you know, for, for a while. And so uh, I totally understand that perspective. And I think it's, you know, the glucose versus fat is a good place to start because when we start talking about ketones and there is a relevant conversation there, but we have to remember that a state where we're producing ketones, the vast majority of the body is running on fat. So yes, there's a small amount of ketones produced for brain function more than anything else, but really we're in a largely, it's more of a question of fat versus glucose. And then yes, there is some glucose versus ketone question. So just in starting with the glucose versus fat, uh, I guess the first place we want to start is when it comes to glucose, there are, and I think we mentioned this a little bit briefly in the last episode, but there is the complete route of energy production from glucose, the complete glucose oxidation where it's going all the way through glycolysis and then through the Krebs cycle and then through the electron transport chain. That's sometimes called like aerobic oxidation or you know, oxidation of glucose. There's also an, what's often called anaerobic glycolysis, or you could even have aerobic glycolysis where you're just converting that glucose through glycolysis into lactate. And that is definitely a state where we're not producing a lot of energy. There's a handful of issues that are associated with it. It gives us some real short burning fuel for when we're sprinting, you know, it's helpful for our muscles. But it's definitely not ideal for kind of gen, like a general state when we're trying to produce a lot of energy. Um, but it really shouldn't be happening unless there's super high energy demands. Like again, muscles when we're sprinting, full out, high intensity, something like that. So that's kind of the the first just kind of distinction we want to make is I'm not saying that we want to be running through just this anaerobic glycolysis all the time. That would never work out very well. But rather, we want to consider the complete usage of glucose all the way through the, you know, through to the electron transport chain versus fat. And so for the biological context, just again, if we're zooming out, we talked about this uh, mostly in that last episode where when the states where we're going to be relying on fat include when we're starving or fasting, which could kind of be used interchangeably, but if we're not eating anything, we rely heavily on the usage of fat uh, for energy production. If we don't have carbs available, we're, we're relying heavily on fat for product, uh, energy production or if we're just in a general stress, like stressed out situation, we talked about elevated cortisol and adrenaline, for example, shifting us toward more fat burning, fat oxidation. And so the important kind of large picture context is these are all states where we, yes, if they're driven by adrenaline, we need some energy immediately. But in general, in a fat burning state, if we think more starvation, these are states where we want our metabolism to be slower. We want to be producing less energy because that allows us to survive for longer. And so, and I know you've kind of discussed this in terms of longevity, this idea that we want to be expending and using less energy. And yes, fat oxidation is a great way to do it because it does lead to a much slower rate of energy production. So that's kind of the big picture uh, that's important. But as we'll get to in a second, the way that it does this is actually by producing more oxidative stress. Okay. There's a, Should I dive there's in? A, <laughs> if, if we're in the lecture hall, 
all 10,000 of us listening, there's a, there's a, there's a, a silence going over the PA system. And then Jay has to keep talking now and explain. Okay. <laughs> Works for me. So when we are oxidizing, you know, burning for fuel, fat versus carbohydrates, we need to be producing more reactive oxygen species with fat in order to slow the rate of energy production. And this is, even though it sounds controversial when I'm saying it, this isn't actually controversial in the research. And even by a lot of the, the fat burning proponents, like uh, Peter at Hyperlipid, for example, has talked a lot about this, about how we need to be burning lots of saturated fats to produce a lot of react reactive oxygen species. He looks at that as a good thing. I would argue that it's not, but either way, that is what's happening. And the reason why it happens again, like the biochemical reason, and I won't dig into this too much because I know we'll get into enzymes and and uh, different electron carriers and it gets a little in depth, but essentially there's a ratio called the FADH2 to NADH ratio. And there's a shift there based on which fuel we're burning. When we burn fats, it's two and a half times higher than when we burn carbohydrates. And this is if we're burning a long chain fat. Uh, and what that then leads to is a bit of a clog at the electron transport chain where there's competition between the first two complexes for ubiquinone. And when you have a lot of FADH2, you're running through that second complex a lot, using up a lot of the ubiquinone, and it leads to what's called reverse electron transfer, transfer through the complex one of the electron transport chain, leading to a lot of reactive oxygen species being produced. And it also leads to a low NAD to NADH ratio, which slows down parts of the Krebs cycle and parts of glycolysis, particular enzymes like isocitrate dehydrogenase in the Krebs cycle. And then you have inhibition of pyruvate dehydrogenase and uh, you know, a few other steps of, of, the, of glycolysis like uh, phosphofructokinase. So you know, that, that's like the, the kind of more in-depth basic explanation. But essentially, this is what's going on between fat and carbs. And it's very valuable. We need to have a fuel that we can use slower for when we're starving or for our muscles when they're at rest and they don't need to produce much energy or even when they're walking or doing low intensity activity, we need to have something like that, a low octane fuel. And on the contrary, we need to have something like glucose for those higher octane situations. And in particular, our brain, which is very, you know, very high energy demands, but also very sensitive to oxidative stress and reactive oxygen species. So when our brains are able to, which they should in a healthy state, use glucose, produce a lot of energy, not very much reactive oxygen species, it leads to you know, healthy brain function. As we'll talk about when it comes to ketones, there's a lot of situations where that's not helping or that's not happening. And that's where we need some ketones or we need to fix the underlying problem. But the, again, kind of the, the, the basics here that fat leads to a lot of oxidative stress initially in, in the mitochondria. It slows things down, can sometimes cause some uncoupling, which also slows our energy production. So a handful of different things, which again, has its role, but is problematic if we're relying on that when we actually need more energy and we don't have the carbs available to do so. And so this uh, extreme concern about the uh, increasing incidence of cognitive decline, diseases, Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, marked by dysfunctional glucose metabolism in the brain. Uh, I think it's going to your energy balance premise that we're not good at burning, uh, burning fuel in the brain. And then we start to introduce disease patterns. And so how did we, how did we get to this point? Is it that processed food in the diet that's difficult to burn by all cells, including the brain? 
And that's where we're particularly seeing the destruction, the damage. Exactly. So, and I would say this is very parallel to insulin resistance everywhere, diabetes everywhere, where we're not using that glucose. We're not converting that carbohydrate to energy very well. It's not the, the, I would say that the solution is to fix that energy production, not to just remove the carbohydrate altogether. Mm. And again, same thing when it comes to the brain, as you've mentioned, something that is often currently considered type three diabetes now involves, you know, Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative states where we're not able to effectively produce energy from glucose. And I would say, let's fix that energy production from glucose so that it, you know, things work properly, as opposed to just eschewing that altogether and deciding to run on a different fuel, which I would say has its own costs associated with it. And namely the one that we just talked about, which is that we're forcing most of our body to run on fat, which doesn't work too well when we're trying to minimize stress and keep a high metabolic rate with lots of energy and uh, doesn't work as well for our livers, doesn't work as well for our brains. That's why they need ketones. And again, just one real quick detail to slip in. This is the reason why our brains can't use fat for fuel. They, wow. they use very, very tiny amounts of fat, mostly for structural components, or they chop it up into really small, uh, really short chains of fats. But largely our brains have to use glucose or ketones. They can't use fat. And that's because fat are producing way more oxidative stress and less energies. Wow. So is that a... Um... Is that an undisputed biological insight? Largely, again, it's it's maybe not a question of zero versus a hundred percent, where the brain literally uses zero percent fat, but it's very, very little, and that's why we need to produce ketones when we're in that state. Um, again, it uses very tiny amounts. They can chop it up into you know, there's the I, don't, I think it's in the astrocytes where they take the long chain fats and chop them into very short chain fats so they can kind you know be used without as much oxidative stress. Uh, but it's, we're talking single digit percentage at most. And, uh, yeah, that's why we need glucose or ketones. And that's why when we're in a state without glucose, we start to produce those ketones. Uh, you said something important there. And I think it, um, you know, I'm, I'm imagining like what Jay might say to his, uh, an opponent in the, uh, in the round table discussion and the, the next person's itching to grab the mic and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, but you said, um, instead of just running away from uh, the problem or in the, in the allopathic model here, take a pill because your cholesterol is too high. Um, why not fix the system? And I think um, we've maybe been guilty of running away from um, dietary carbs because so many of them are bad and cause so many problems. And then we awaken to benefits, but it's not, it, we're missing the, the point or the root cause. And so back to, this is just kind of jumping in with that insight that's been so, um, of such a revelation to me is like, go find nutritious carbs, uh, consume them in the, in the interest of improving your overall metabolic function. And now we're learning that, uh, that includes the, the energy balance to use a term of being good at uh, burning fat, burning carbs, and of course, using uh, protein appropriately. And I think, you guys do a good job on the show, Mike Fave and you on Energy Balance Podcast saying, hey, we're not in any particular dietary camp, but what you're arguing for is a responsible use of all the macronutrients, sensible mealtime habits, and uh, not doing anything extreme, uh, but also you know, sourcing the least offensive and the easiest to digest foods, uh, even to the extent of touting things that uh, would cause people to uh, scratch their fingernails, like uh, having some orange juice or uh, some of the other examples that you provide. Yeah. And that makes me think of a very 
uh, common analogy that, that you hear in the low carb sphere regarding cholesterol and heart disease, where we say, okay, yes, there's elevated levels of cholesterol and those can be associated with heart disease, but we don't blame a fireman for a, a fireman for a fire. It's there as a protective mechanism. It doesn't mean the cholesterol itself is the problem. We don't want to avoid dietary cholesterol. We don't want to avoid things that increase mm. the production of cholesterol, uh, but rather we want to fix the underlying problem. I would say the same thing is happening in insulin resistance and diabetes, where yes, there's elevated blood sugar and yes, there's elevated insulin as well, but those are symptoms of the problem. And that's actually our body's adaptive way of trying to best drive glucose oxidation, trying to force it as much as possible because it's not working. It's actually a protective thing. So essentially what we want to do is fix the root of why that's happening as opposed to blame the glucose and blame the carbohydrates. So the elevated glucose is a, is a, is a desperate attempt to your, your liver is dumping more glucose in your bloodstream and saying, Hey, try to burn this, please. It's, it's really good fuel. And that's not working. It's broken. Um, is that due to endotoxins and, and things of that nature, uh, gut dysfunction, or why is this happening? Hey man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gainswave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gainswave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gainswave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary Band-Aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gainswave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainswave from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gainswave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit Gainswave.com slash Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. Consuming uh, horrible sources of uh, glucose that are combined with vegetable oils, whatever. Exactly. So the, the problem in that diabetic state is that the cells have enough glucose, but they're not using it. And so they're just full of this fuel. And so the glucose that's in the blood can't get into the cells. Cells are already full of glucose doesn't matter if you keep increasing insulin again, to an extent, if you add tons, eventually it'll kind of force them in. But, uh, what it actually tends to, to do is just oppose the glucagon. So that's how it reduces the blood sugar. It doesn't even help the cells use more of it. So essentially kind of coming back is that 
you the cells aren't using that glucose well. And that is why you have this elevated blood sugar, you have this stress state because the body's saying we're starved of, starved of energy right now. And so, yes, the underlying drivers of that state are things like unsaturated fats, the polyunsaturated fats. Uh, endotoxin is a huge one, directly blocks the production of energy at the electron transport chain, directly causes this sort of state. Uh, there's a handful of others, just general excess stress hormones, which can come from these situations and can also come from even a low carb diet. And this is known <laughs> that there's something called physiological insulin resistance. Mm. I, where I, I, I'm raising my hand, Jay. I, I experienced that when I was in the strict keto experimental stage and um, was also trying to do my impressive workouts and would have these crash and burn patterns. And then this is going to I didn't want to interrupt you, but it's, it's a pretty heavy insight to think, shit, I've, I've developed what you call it physiological insulin resistance. In other words, I'm really sensitive to carbs because I haven't eaten very many and haven't produced much insulin or right. tell me if I describe that and keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's a big part of it. And also the, we're in a, a fat burning state that's, as you said, reflected by the hormones. So everything is driving us toward fat burning. And so we get the glucose in, but we can't use it well. So we don't respond well like someone who's insulin sensitive. And this isn't the, you know, the average person who has diabetes is not dealing with physiological insulin resistance, but I'm more just using it as a demonstration of things uh, of the fact that an excessive, a state of excessive stress hormones and fat burning will also put us in an insulin resistant state. There can be different causes, right? And so if we're doing that because of a low carb diet, that's not really the problem, but if we're doing it, like if that is happening due to other reasons, it can, it can be a driver. Uh, and might that be some of these reasons that you wrote about why I'm uh, describing how when I eat carbs, I feel bad. I, 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 my energy drops and you gave like four or five reasons for that. Maybe we can go through those. Yeah. So one of them that we're kind of talking about now is that we're not using that glucose. Well, like we're, we're in a somewhat insulin resistant state and that can certainly be part of the problem for sure as poor glucose metabolism. And again, and so poor glucose, glucose metabolism, I drink a soda and I feel like passing out on the couch and why, why exactly is that happening? Why am I not using it well? Or it, yeah, where's so, it going? Is insulin coming in to make me tired or something? Yeah. So we're basically going to see a, a very similar, very parallel uh, response is what you see in, in insulin resistance where the glucose is there in the blood, the cells aren't using it. So you're, yes, you're producing insulin, but then it's not working. So then uh, basically your body is still in a stress state. It's saying, hey, there's still not the energy there that I'm supposed to have. And you end up with instead a production of a lot of stress hormones. So in diabetes, it's not just a state of excess insulin, but it's also a state of excess glucagon and generally excess uh, cortisol as well. So I'm kind of seeing a, a parallel mechanism if that was, you know, if, if someone like that were to, to have maybe you know, uh, a huge amount of, of glucose at once without fixing those problems underlying. But that's, that's one of the less common, you know, the people listening to this, if they're feeling bad after carbs, it's probably not because they're diabetic. Mm -hmm. Um, instead there's, there's a handful of other reasons that are more likely. And one of the most common for people who are generally relying on these stress pathways would be actually a reduction in the stress hormones. So if somebody is, is, you know, eating low carb, or they just had a a black cup of coffee without any food, and they've increased their adrenaline and their cortisol. Uh, taking in some carbohydrates is the best way to turn those things down, which is something we want to do. But if there's no 
good energy production going on without those, then we're revealing an underlying state, an underlying low energy state. And so that can be a pretty, you know, a pretty big reason, especially early on when your metabolism hasn't kicked in yet, you know, the kind of non-stress metabolism hasn't really kicked up yet. Uh, so it's, it's unmasking one's reliance on fumes for their main source of energy, the stress hormones. And I'm thinking of a, another example of um, going off to vacation from your hectic high stress life that you're running on fumes. And then you get to the resort and you just feel like laying on the lounge chair for four days straight because the stress, uh, the, the stressors have been uh, eliminated temporarily. And then you realize how exhausted you are, but you didn't realize it on your last day at work when you had to put in 12 hours because you were going on a vacation uh, the next week. Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's a really good one. Well, it's kind of scary in terms of the dietary example. The, the Hawaii uh, lounge chair example is uh, welcome and we should all get get more of that and allow ourselves to bottom out. That happened to me so many times as an athlete where you know, you go to high altitude training camp, you feel awesome for three weeks, you're getting in such great shape, you're not sore, you're not tired, you're not even eating that much because you're just, you know, you're just, you're just rolling and then everything uh, falls apart when the stress hormones give out. Um, so uh, that was... Uh, two of the reasons, and there's a couple more for uh, why touting or claiming that consuming carbs uh, causes an energy drop. Yeah. So uh, probably the next most common one, or one of the most common, for common ones for sure is the gut effects, right? And so we talked about this a lot, how so much of the benefit from removing carbs from the diet can be because we're removing these irritating foods that are driving the production of certain compounds from bacteria that we recognize as toxins that are toxic to us, things like LPS, which is lipopolysaccharide or endotoxin, and, and there's a handful of others. And those will be produced if we're not digesting those carbohydrates very well, either because our digestion isn't great, it's not accustomed to that, or the carbohydrate isn't very easy to digest, mm. and or if we have a gut dysbiosis or you know various other factors. And so if we're feeding that issue and driving an inflamed uh, state, those toxins cause intestinal permeability. We absorb them all sorts of, you know, in every bodily system you can think of, that's going to wreak some havoc and lead to us not feeling so good. So that can be another very common one. Of course, the solution there being that we eat different types of carbs and address our gut health so that we're not, that we're not experiencing that. So the endotoxin is something that we manufacture in our gut uh, in reaction to processed nasty foods or something? So it's actually produced by bacteria. It's both a component of their cell walls and also they produce and release certain amounts of it. And so if we have a, uh, an overgrowth of some harmful bacteria and we don't digest the food very well, or it's very fibrous and it's feeding those bacteria, they'll produce and release that endotoxin. And uh, that will create an, it's one of the mechanisms through which we get leaky gut. And uh, it's something that is seen and endotoxemia, where, where you see elevated levels of endotoxin, is seen in everything from obesity and diabetes to you know heart disease and, and on from there. Uh, so leaky gut is now a prominent um, topic in both progressive health and in mainstream health, starting to recognize how important our gut function is. How does it relate to the energy balance story? It's a, it's a huge factor. I mean, gut health is a huge factor for, if for no other reason than just, you know, these toxic uh, compounds produced by some of the, uh, comp the, the bacteria or microbes in our gut. I mean, they're huge, you know, hugely, I would say one of the top 
maybe two or three factors that are inhibiting our, our ability to effectively produce energy. So gut health is very important. Again, the solution here being not just to avoid things that are necessarily a problem, but rather working on supporting and fixing our, our gut health, raising our metabolic rate so we're digesting things better and moving out of that stress state. Uh, but yes, eating things that are much easier to digest and uh, that aren't going to lead to that sort of you know toxic production, which tends to come along with a lot of the anti-nutrients that are coming in things like grains and nuts and seeds that are, again, kind of well-recognized in the lower carb spheres. Uh, Let's see. We've talked about this a little bit, um, and um, I wanted to uh, get get a take from you. I'm sure you're familiar with the constrained model of energy expenditure. I'm thinking of my interviews with Dr. Ponser, where he shares his life's work as a evolutionary anthropologist and contending that human daily calorie caloric expenditure is constrained. At, I think his soundbite is we burn around 3000 calories a day, whether we exercise or not. And it seems to be um, highly validated. And I'm, I'm probably going to guess part of your answer here when we talked about those dials and being turned up all the way. But I'm also wondering, it's, it's hard for me to grasp com completely because I have so many uh, counter examples from the athletic world where if you, if you train, if you take your training from 20 hours a week to 30 hours a week, you're going to get even leaner and you're going to win the tour de France type of example. Right. Um, but if we start with this uh, premise that we have somewhat of a ceiling on our calorie burning every day, the reproduction repair, locomotion and growth are a zero sum game. And we're considering, uh, perhaps in your example, eating more food, how does that uh, mix in to the, to the idea and the fact that, hey, I want to see my abs, uh, so I'm going to eat more food per the energy balance recommendation, and it's going to happen for me magically. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a lot of great things from that constrained uh, total energy, energy expenditure model, and namely that I think it gets to why we, don't, we can't just outstress our metabolism, we can't outstrip, you know, just lead to create a ton of stress to create weight loss without coming at the cost of these other areas, right? Without coming at the cost to growth and repair and, and general function. So that's super important, right? That if we're just trying to exercise a ton and not only just exercise, but if we're fasting, if we're doing cold thermogenesis, all those things are in that kind of wasteful energy expenditure. We're not using it for digestion or for brain function or something like that. We're using it externally. And so those are all taking from energy available for those other functions. And the result of that is we turn down those other functions. It's mediated through stress hormones, which also reduce the activity of our thyroid and our thyroid hormone conversion. It reduces the production of reproductive hormones. That's part of how it reduces you know, reproductive function, but those hormones also are responsible for keeping our metabolism high. So there's all of these very cohesive, intelligent responses to the excessive wasting of energy that try, you know, that are there for our survival and for our long-term, again, survival, not long-term health necessarily, but for survival. Distinction, distinction, important. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that is something that's really great. That's elucidated by the model. Now, the part that I do disagree with, which you were kind of getting to is that I think the model is accurate. If all things that all else is equal, right? If we're not changing the types of foods, if we're not removing those industrial seed oils, and on and on. Hmm. Uh, but there are a ton of factors that are going to 
affect where kind of that limit is. And a lot of that comes back to where we're at hormonally and whether we're efficiently producing uh, energy from our food. And so, you know, a couple of kind of not necessarily extreme, but on one end of the spectrum, if we think of someone who's young and uh, growing, or maybe they're a teenager or early twenties, maybe they've already grown, right? So that it's not like they're using this extra energy or fuel for, for um, growing, but let's say you're in your early twenties, it's way easy. You know, you can eat way more and still not, and still remain lean, right? That's something that people recognize. And then as they get older, there start to be some limitations there. That's just a sign of I would say the accumulation of issues that are lowering that limit. Um, it doesn't have to be that way, but for the average person, it is. Oh, so just things are catching up to us that we can get away. It, it's it's literally true when everyone's saying I got away with uh, this and that in my youth. And so it's the accumulation of stressors to go back to that commentary. Yeah. And the accumulation of things that that will inhibit uh, our ability to produce energy as well. But that goes, you know, the stress horm- hormones are one of the main ones there. So that's, that's kind of one way to think of it. Another way is if you took maybe a bodybuilder who's using anabolic steroids, they can eat a ton, huge amount of food, and that food is not going to be used to produce body fat, but rather it's going to go toward building muscle, uh, or they're going to remain very lean. And that's, again, just indicative of what can change just by the hormonal state that we're putting ourselves in. And again, yeah. when we come back to the, the root of that hormonal state, it comes back to energy. That's going to be the main thing determining you know, keeping stress hormones low, thyroid up, uh, thyroid hormone conversion up to the active T3 hormone, keeps your testosterone up, all of that. So if we're doing the things that really favor that sort of state, of course, maybe without the, the external anabolic steroids, we can create a, a similar effect. That's well, it's good a, to paint that extreme example because um, that bodybuilder is just utilizing energy differently. Um, now, the, the calorie burning is constrained by the amount of lean muscle mass per Dr. Ponser's premise, right? And so the bodybuilder getting more muscle mass is going to burn not as many calories as we think. It's like, you know, uh, you're going to burn a couple hundred more calories a day if you put on a bunch of muscle mass. However, um, something's going on there that really illustrates this uh, tremendously because the the use of um, doping is overriding any potential frailties in your beautiful energy balance machine. And so we can we can look to those examples and go, wow, here's what's possible if I try to optimize. And I, I talk about um, hormones and testosterone and aging because I'm in the I'm in the age groups of where this stuff is important. And it's like you got to do everything you can to optimize. And then and only then, you know, if if you're saying I'm checking every box and I, I want to go consider hormone replacement therapy when I'm a, an old man. Well, we can have that conversation, but until then, it's it's a ridiculous notion to try to override uh, your shitty habits. Yeah, hundred percent. And and we can take the extremes on the other side too, right? Somebody who has very overt hypothyroidism or has Cushing syndrome, where there's a ton of cortisol, and those people will gain weight on very small amounts of food intake, right. and their their constraints right. are way lower. So there's a ton of things, and those are just looking top level, right? Just the hormones, but those are affected by everything that's going on underneath all the. Th- the nutrients that are coming in, how frequently, the types. And so we can do a lot to change those levels. And that's kind of where my focus is, is let's let's make it so that we're producing as much energy and create, you know, and having as much energy available as possible to go toward those extra things, the growth, the repair, the function, uh, and not store fat at the same time, right? 
So, oh, it's starting to make sense. It, it, I, I hope <laughs> listeners, you're with me, right? This is, these are important insights. And um, I think before we let you go, take us through like a hypothetical client interaction where you have someone who's hypothyroid or <laughs> a bodybuilder using steroids, whoever wants to come and talk to Jay. Uh, but how do we, um, how would you work to optimize what things would you look at or what things would you recommend besides your uh, seven day uh, free course? But in, in terms of you know, people looking under every rock, uh, and I think a lot of listeners have, have turned over those rocks and um, tried out uh, a keto plus CrossFit uh, equation and many other things that are so well-intended and, um, and, and laudable that you're putting in that much uh, motivation, but off track. Yeah. So, so many of the, I mean, I would say the root cause of virtually all symptoms we're experiencing come back to a lack of energy availability and whether it's not being able to sleep well because our stress hormones are too high when we're trying to go to sleep or we're waking up at night because our glycogen stores are running out because we're not storing enough carbohydrate uh, or we're uh, not getting deep sleep for a parallel reason or maybe we're having hot flashes during the day or we're dealing with extreme hunger or I don't know. We've got a little body temperature. Uh, you know, afternoon blues is my main complaint. I felt great at my sprint workout, Jay. I, I nailed it this morning. And then at 2.30, where am I? I'm, I'm collapsed on the ground in, a, in a, a beautiful nap, but maybe a little bit over that edge of a refreshing nap to a, a desperately necessary nap. And I, I don't really like that feeling so much. Yeah. Yeah. Those energy dips. Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, skin health, again, reproductive health, libido. These are all signs of a state where we don't have enough energy available to go toward the growth, the repair, the function, you know, digestive symptoms, same thing, uh, immune, uh, like immune system symptoms, we're getting colds a lot, or the, the illnesses are lingering. Or again, of course, the, the more overt chronic conditions, the autoimmune, the, the diabetes, the, the heart disease, all of these coming back to the same kind of underlying drivers. Mm-hmm. And so normally when I'm working with someone, that's the place that we start, right? What is your day-to-day experience like? And then it's a matter of doing everything we can to allow our bodies to produce energy more efficiently. And we were talking about eating more and that being a a goal, but that's definitely not the place I would start because if we're not producing energy efficiently Mm -hmm. and we just eat more, that will spill over toward fat. It'll be directed toward fat. Uh, You might end up with some more energy for sure, but you're going to end up with a lot of, there's so much inefficiency there that you will end up storing a decent amount. So that tends to be one of the later places I would look unless someone's really, you know, extremely low on the calorie side. Um, but instead I would look toward getting the right fats in the diet, right? Avoiding those polyunsaturated fats we talked about in the last episode. I would go toward eating the really easily digestible carbohydrates. If someone's coming from low carb, that's a small tweaking over time, right? It's not going from zero to 200 grams of carbs in the day or 400 or something like that. Of course, uh, it's a slow tweak up so that the we can shift away from that physiologically insulin resistant state toward a more balanced state where we're burning both fat and carbs. Uh, And that would also involve eating them throughout the day, maybe at certain targeted times to minimize stress from a workout or to make sure that we sleep through the night. All right. You know, having some, some solid carbohydrates with dinner, maybe even in the evening, depending on what someone's experiencing. Uh, So that would be another really big piece is kind of uh, choosing the right fats and then the right carbohydrates and slowly titrating those up that really making a big difference and reducing the things that we might be doing that are driving the excessive stress and shifting our workouts so that again, they're still giving us benefit, but they're just 
less stressful, you know, maybe less volume, maybe for reps per set, maybe less frequency, maybe less cardio, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah, that's a big one, uh, because we've been socialized to think more is better and that struggling and suffering is the path to fitness and to, um, optimal physique. And I think, um, if we can find that, that sweet spot where we get the maximum adaptive benefits of diet, of exercise with, you know, the minimal stress, that's when we're, that's when we're grooving. That's, that's a great message that, uh, you know, kind of oversees your, 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 your whole, uh, content there. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said it pretty well. Jay Feldman people go take the free quiz, get deep into this scene, the energy balance podcast. I'm, I'm on a binge myself. I've listened to dozens of shows. Now Mike Fave is always there doing a great job. So we give him a plug, uh, but everything can be found at jfeldmanwellness.com and the energy balance podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on Brad. And uh, yeah, for that free mini course, people can head to jfeldmanwellness.com slash energy. And again, I'll kind of detail some of the good places to start nutritionally and lifestyle wise, especially for someone who's, who's uh, you know, finding some of the information here to be quite contrasting with where they're at. So. Love it, man. We're probably going to have to beg you to come back on. I'm sure we'll get a lot of feedback. So send your questions in. And it was great to make the connection. Thank you so much for another great show. Jay Feldman. Thanks for listening, everybody. Da, 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 da. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list.
And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.